Welcome to Emerge Dynamics. Emerge Dynamics. The podcast for those who manage and invest in middle market private companies across the globe. globe. We're telling the stories of the unsung champions who take enormous risks every day to weave the fabric of our societies. Those who collectively, from the multi-trillion dollar largest market on the planet, we're diving into the dynamics of what makes some of them emerge from their peers and create incredible returns and impact on their communities. This is Emerge Dynamics. Welcome back, folks, to the Emerge Dynamics podcast. I'm David here with Eric. How you doing, David? Great and excited to be continuing our series on one of our favorite topics, and that's business valuation. Yes. And like we said before, calling it business valuation probably betrays what we're doing here because we're really thinking about not just what does a valuation report say, but what are the things that drive the value and what can someone who manages or invests in a business do about it? Most importantly. Right. That's what we're all about is how do you change the value? How do you make it be where you want it to be? So we had a couple of overview episodes, not purposefully, but we left people in suspense a bit just because I think we got so excited about framing this thing, which is important. So today we're going to try to get more granular much faster. Just for anyone who did not listen, please do go listen to the last two episodes. What we covered was just setting up why it's important to understand how much your business is worth and also to understand if your business is even sellable because there are more businesses than not, unfortunately, especially in the small business area that aren't sellable or aren't sellable to anyone maybe outside of a family member or the employee who's been with you for 20 years. Right. Right. right? So- We're trying to expand that to make you truly have a market value asset in your business. And marketable. Marketable, Marketable. So we talked in our last couple of episodes about that there are these drivers of value. And we brought up one, we talked about customer concentration last time, just as an example of how two businesses with the exact same financial statements can trade for drastically. Drastically different. And if you get a traditional valuation report, it won't capture that very well. But we're going to talk today about some drivers that really help us start to understand why one business might trade for a much different value than another business, even if their numbers are the same. Now, it turns out if you get really good at the things that we're getting ready to list here, your business probably won't have the same financial statements as the next one anymore because (laughs) your financial statements, your cash flow and everything will start growing too. Right. And we did talk, David, too, about If you look at kind of the black box of the business valuation and and how the numbers are actually working, it's the three key components are your financial performance, your expected growth rate, and then your inherent risk in your business. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that really these drivers that we're talking about cover all of those in one way or another, some very specifically, and then some more broadly, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to that risk assessment in your company. Multiple drivers feed into the risk. Yes, multiple drivers. And so what we're going to do, we're going to use a framework from a system that that we're really big fans of called Value Builder, made by a guy named John Warlow. We've become big fans of his, really like his work and like what he's done. So we may see other people define drivers differently, and those may be good ways to look at it as well. We've just become really fans of the value builder system and feel like it does capture very well 
where people are on their journey to increasing their value and give them a roadmap to how to make it better. So we're going to use that kind of framework as we talk about this. So Eric, I think you've got up the drivers. Let's list them. Sure. And then today, I don't think we can get into all of them, but maybe we'll get into a couple at least to unpack. Yeah, let's do that. So keep in mind with those three key components of the business value being the financial performance, the growth rate, and the risk rate. So one is financial performance, and that's driver number one. And that's both the actual numbers as well as what's the quality of the numbers. You know, you get an audit. How much in order is your financial statement? Then there's growth potential, which is just that. It's the growth rate. What is the expected growth rate for your business right now? Those two are pretty obvious, right? Then there's the valuation teeter-totter, which we talk about, which is really the cash flows in the business. Are you waiting on your cash flows a lot? You know, you're having a front end a lot of your revenues and your expenses, and then you're waiting, that type of thing. So that gets to the timing of your cash flows. The Switzerland structure, I think, is one of the ones that would be good for us to drive in in today. And that's just how dependent is the company on any one customer. We talked about customer concentration last time, but any one customer, any one employee, or any one vendor. Then there's kind of very tied to that, which I think we'll talk about as well today, is the hub and spoke, which is how dependent is the business on you as a business owner? And a lot of times folks will think about that as being, oh, that's great. You know, it's very dependent on me. And it's like, no, that's not really that great. So we'll we'll talk about that. Then there's recurring revenue, which is something that's big because that gets to how likely is it for these revenue streams, the financial performance to continue? So we would evaluate how much of our revenue stream is recurring in nature. Then there's monopoly control, which is, you know, what is our defining sense of our service or, or our product? You know, how, how much monopoly control do we have over that? And then lastly, we'll get into both customer satisfaction and also employee satisfaction. And rather than satisfaction, I know we'll talk about engagement, both from our customers. And how to measure it. And how measurable that is. Right. Yeah. Those are the eight drivers. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Great list there. You said we're going to go into a couple today. Yeah. And I think uh, the two that, that make sense to go in, because they somewhat go hand in hand, is both the Switzerland structure and the hub and spoke. Mm-hmm. So why don't we talk about the Switzerland structure first and foremost. So we call it the Switzerland structure, and War- John Warlow refers to it that way. As you think about Switzerland was, you know, hey, we've, we've got these natural barriers, if you will, that kind of set us apart and allow us to protect our boundaries, if you will, during the war. And then yeah, they're always know, neutral. They're always neutral. Mm-hmm. Right. But not um, dependent on others. Yes. And they're not dependent. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're not dependent on anybody else. They're kind of self-sufficient, if you will. And so we apply that here from a business valuation perspective by looking at how dependent is our company on any one employee or customer or vendor. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that we are very dependent on any one of those, it becomes problematic in the business and the business becomes riskier. As we mentioned that we we talked about in the last episode about customer concentration and how, Mm -hmm. okay, well, this company, company A, is a $10 million company with a million dollars in revenue, and company B is the same, $10 million revenue, $1 million in profit, and they are tremendously different in the value in the eyes of the buyer. And in one case, you had two to three customers that were the majority 
lion's share of the business. And another, it was she had a very, very diversified recurring revenue stream type of, of company. So that company that had that very diversified customer base was valued substantially greater than that company that had just two or three yeah. key customers. Because any one of those key customers could significantly impact the results in the future if they decided to change you know, their buying patterns with you. Uh, and absolutely. And, and the example, like you said, the example last episode was on customer concentration, which is what we say customer concentration is really part of Switzerland structure. Yeah. Uh, Switzerland structure encompasses customer concentration, vendor concentration. I don't know if we could say em- not really employee concentration, but it's dependence on an Dependency employee. Dependency on, on any one point. And Eric, I have an example, a real life example on the employee concentration or employee dependence part. Some time ago, I was working with someone helping them buy a company and we went in to help analyze the company, help understand what the company might be worth. And we looked at all the financials and then we went and visited the company and interviewed the people, got to know the people. Again, like often is the case, great people. There was one particular salesperson who was just an all-star, just amazing. And the owner of the company was so proud of this person. And he was saying, look, when you buy my company, you're going to get this guy and he's going to be on your team. And it was true. The guy was super talented. He was bringing in something like 60% of the revenue of the company. And so we, as the buyers, perceived that as a very large risk. So we looked at the revenue that this one all-star salesperson brought in and we discounted it much heavier than the revenue that the 40% that the right. rest of the people were bringing in. It was, the value wasn't zero, but it was much more discounted because there was a risk. We used this to come up with a value. We presented the value to the owner of the company. <laughs> and he was so upset with us. I, unfortunately, I have more stories like this than I would like to say, <laughs> because how could we possibly think his company was worth so little, right? We, we were insulting him by, by presenting this offer to him. So we had to quickly scurry out of his office and go away. I'll just make numbers up to highlight the point. These numbers are probably pretty close to what it was, though. You know, at the time, we were offering something like a $3 million check for the guy's business, and he thought it was worth way, way more. After he ran us out of his office, we went away and focused on other things. Got a call about a year later and got an update on the story. That key salesperson had quit, had gone away, made his own shop, had started competing with this guy, and now had taken the majority of his business away. That's 60%. (laughs) And and more, right? And so now he was begging us, please could you relook at what's left of my business? Mm. What we did offer $3 million for a year and a half before, we ended up buying what was left of the business for about $100,000. Unbelievable, yeah. Right? What a sad story. It is sad. A real life example of these risks are real. Buyers will perceive them. Even a buyer who's maybe less sophisticated and can't articulate it in the way of value drivers and discount rates, they're still going to internalize this yeah. and adjust their expectations and their pricing based on these types of things. Right. Right. And so, uh, unfortunately, if he had understood upfront the risk that his business had, 
Hopefully, he could have mitigated the risk before even anyone looked at buying his business. That would have been the best solution. Or even if he didn't, at least he could have understood that what we were offering him before was actually a really good deal. Yeah. But he didn't get that. He didn't get it. And ended up with $100,000, which meant he had to go on. This guy was in his late 60s. He had to go on working instead of the $3 million, which could have you know, yeah. lasted the rest of his life. Right. Right. Unfortunate. Unfortunate. And we're not going to get into... Well, how do you help mitigate that and, and all that? We're just we're just here to talk about the awareness of that. And so the the one thing that we didn't talk about is is a vendor and are we reliant heavily on one vendor? I wouldn't say this is a perfect example per se because it's it's not really the distribution channels. But you know, recently we had a huge shortage in infant formula because yes. of one particular mm-hmm. manufacturer that had some issues and. So, you know, you look at that, not so much from the tragedy of of what that means to the consumers per se, but let's say you were a distributor and your main company that you were distributing for was that one vendor. Well, all of a sudden you don't have any revenues, Mm -hmm. you know, and so how is your business even going to to survive? And so we've seen that in a number of instances where, you know, a business may be so heavily reliant on one particular vendor for the supply of either, you know, if they're a distributor, it's that, that one major product that they're distributing, or it's a it's a large component mm-hmm. of their service model or what have you. So any reliance on that one vendor can really be problematic for you and drive up mm-hmm. the risk in, in the company. And Eric, I would say that vendor concentration in this day and age is becoming even more important than it was even a couple of years ago. Yeah. We're recording this July of 2022, right? For anyone who might listen to this in the future, but for most supplies, rewind a couple of years, especially pre-COVID, for a lot of stuff, it wasn't that big of a deal. It was important to have vendor diversification, but very often, if you couldn't get a part, you could find another vendor right away. Today, it's becoming really hard to get certain things. Yep. I've got a friend who has a boat repair business, and he's got boats just stacked up in his yard for things that he used to be able to get in in a few days. It's taking weeks or months. Weeks, weeks, months. And so he's got projects. His yard is full. He can't clear the projects out because he can't get the parts in to get the work done. Yeah. Right? And so for him, a deep bench of vendor options is becoming critical to even being able to do enough work in the month to yeah. pay the bills in yeah. the month. Yeah. No, and another quick example of that, I've got a, a good friend of mine. He's he's in the garage door business, installation business. And he's, you know, he's been in that business for 30 some odd years. And they said, Eric, he said, you know, what used to be, he said, you know, a week's time, you know, to order a special order and get something. Now everything's special order and it's taking as much as three to four months. Mm-hmm. And he said, so so his business is is so far behind. You know, I mean, I guess he's gotten to that point after he got through that mm-hmm. three-month lag, if you will, that he's now keeping up with it. But, you know, that three that initial three-month time was was really significantly impactful on him mm-hmm. and, and his business. So let's talk for a second about what do you do about this? I think pe- hopefully people listening are understanding, okay, I see the problems and I may have some of these problems. We all can work on improving all these things, right? We never get to a perfect place with any of this, but what do you do, right? So I would start with on employee dependence. It's like, do I not want the all-star employee? I don't think that's that's not the answer. It's not that we don't want talent in an organization. What we wanna do is build the system 
and the process that allows new employees to be trained up, right, quickly to understand. So it becomes, if we're ABC company, it becomes ABC company's way of selling. And we have a system, we have a process, we're constantly learning from our process. When somebody gets really good at selling something or or doing something in our organization, how do we capture that in a way that we can replicate that that best practice for everyone in the organization, right? right? Let's bring the whole organization up to that oh, level, yeah. right? So at this point, we're becoming less and less dependent on a particular all-star, and we've got a whole bench of strong people who are really practicing the ABC way, which through learning, trial and error, we've con- So when we get back to working on the business, that's an activity working on your business, always thinking about what's our way of doing things? How do we document it? How do we put it in a way that we can build processes around it where people can easily follow it and they can easily be better than they ever could have been on their own because they were part of our training program? Right. And another thing that you could focus on is what's your incentive program in the business and doing that in a very structured way so that you're keeping those highly engaged and highly productive employees, giving them constant performance uh, benefits, if you will, and doing it in the right way, in the right structured way, so that really you can you can maintain them for a longer period of time. And they don't have as much incentive, if you will, to go off somewhere else, start their own business or, mm-hmm. or go somewhere else where they're maybe perhaps or feel like they're they're more well compensated. Yeah. Um, so doing it in the right way. So that's an example from an employee concentration or employee dependent standpoint. And then with customer concentration, I think it's also once we understand this, it informs how we grow our business. If there's a huge fish out there that we can go yep. grab and get that fish. Yeah, we always like to say swallow the whale, right? right? Do we just automatically want to say, no, I don't want that. Walmart's knocking on my door. They want to buy my products. Do I just automatically say no to Walmart? Maybe, maybe not. But now we can make an informed decision about understanding if I put all my eggs in Walmart's basket and Walmart should cancel at some point, right? There's a lot of risk. A buyer's right. going to perceive that risk. If I instead can figure out how do I sell to 10 customers who are not the Walmarts of the world, but really good customers. And I, I've now got a business that's worth more, right? So, so where am I going to push my growth path here? Right. Is it all about grabbing this, this putting yeah. all my hope in this one thing? Or am I going to create a system where I can continually win business right. and each customer is less than 10% of my revenue? Right. You may need to get the Walmart now and then build from that. But you need to right. understand that you, you need a path for de-risking, not increasing risk. Right. And I've seen that over and over again where... Those folks said, oh, man, this is fantastic. We're going to get it in Walmart. And then, you know, six months later, like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad we got out of Walmart. And I'm not saying that Walmart's a bad thing, but it's it's be careful. Understand what you're Swinging doing. for the fences every time and thinking that right. that's the answer to right. all answers. Base hits can win games. Yeah, that's right. Well, let's go to Hub and Spoke. Yeah, yeah. So this one is is kind of in the same framing, but, but it's now geared towards how dependent is the company on you as a business owner. Yeah. So how involved are you? How how much do you know? You might say, oh yeah, I know every one of my customers. And you may think that that's a great thing. A buyer may may look at that and say, wait a minute, you're the, you're the lead contact point on almost all of your customers. Well, what happens if something happens to you? And I'm getting ready to buy your business. And right. you know, I don't know how long you're gonna stay with because now all of a sudden you got this check in your hand and you got a lot more options maybe that that you 
that you, you know, a lot more freedom to do whatever you want with that check that you might not have had when you were just running that business. They see that as an inherent risk when you are so involved in the day-to-day operations or the contacts with the customers and things of that nature. So maybe maybe some, some of your thoughts on that, David. Well, I know John Worlow gives the example of Hub and Spoke. So even just why the name Hub and Spoke, he uses an example of an airline, right? If we think of Delta Airlines as a hub in Atlanta, their headquarters is in Atlanta. Right. They're a large portion of their network flows through Atlanta. There's a layover in it. So when there's a monster thunderstorm in Atlanta and that airport is shut down, yeah. Yeah. their whole network goes crazy, right? So it's the idea of being, when you're the hub and everything has to pass through you, when you're shut down, the business stops working. This often means that you can't go on vacation. So in some ways you can know if you're the hub is, can you go on vacation for three weeks, two to three weeks, don't answer your phone for three weeks, and come back and your business is still there and not suffering. <laughs> I know a lot of people who that sounds like a heart attack to them, right? They are so they are so terrified of it, they don't do it. They haven't been on vacation in years, yeah. right? If that's you, you have a serious hub and spoke problem, right? right? right. And, and you need to start working on that. Right. Eric, I'd say this driver of all of them is the one that I see as the biggest problem, especially with businesses probably up to about 50 million in revenue. Once businesses, I've seen this with businesses up to 100 million in revenue where they still have a hub and spoke problem. Usually when they start getting that big, they're professional managers and it's not as dependent on the founder or the owner or the president. But this, in my experience, has been the one where I see the biggest problem. And I had that problem. I know when I started my first business, I was, it was a flight training business. And I would say I was the best flight instructor in the flight training business. And so it was all about what I could do for customers. And it took me a long time to realize that, wait a second, there's only so much David here. And I can't, you know, when I sell this business, unless I'm going to continue working exactly how it was before, a buyer's not going to pay anything for this business. Right. No, no, the value isn't transferred from me to someone else. The other issue is you said, you know, it's, it's, mostly problematic in that $50 million and below. I'd even say that sometimes it's harder to get past through certain levels of operations, if you will, without starting to- Yes, to, you won't even to, get to that revenue you, you, level. You, you won't you even get, get over to that revenue problem. unless you get over that. And you know, a lot of, sometimes, sometimes it's an ego issue. Sometimes it's a, gosh, you know, I can, I can do this better than anybody else. So why, why do I not want to do this myself for the betterment of my customers? Another may be, gosh, I got to bring in another employee. I got to deal with another person. I got to, you know, train them or, you know, whatever it may be. I've got to pay them. Now that's money out of my pocket. It, there's a number of reasons why people get challenged with the hub and spokes issue. But I'll agree with you that it is one of the lead issues or roadblocks for companies to continue to grow and to have the right value if and when they, they ever want to sell that company. Mm-hmm. That is that is probably the number one value issue. Absolutely. And I'm thinking about how can you know if you have a hub and spoke problem? I already said one way to do it. Another way that I perceive it is if you're using the word I, <laughs> right? So if you're talking to a potential buyer of your business, and you're saying things like, I've built this. Here's how I do it. Here's my customers. Here's my 
right? Here's my vendors. Here's my brand, right? You've built an I business, right? And you've not built a system and a process with value outside of you. When it's more of we, we have an approach of selling this way. We do it this way, right? I'm not saying that's all you have to do is shift I to we in your language and your business is worth more. But when you can honestly have a conversation with someone along those lines and say, here's what we've built, here's what we do, right? Or here, here's my team and here's what they do. Right. And I've spent all my hours the last few years and so working on the process for my business and building my team and building how they do things and how they encounter risks and get over them or unusual situations and autonomously solve them. Now you're getting out of the hub and spoke world. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Just as a quick example, I know when where I was CEO, when, when we wound up selling the business at one point in time, one of the most impressive things to the buyer was the fact that once we brought our team on board and said, look, you know, we're thinking about this possible transaction, is when we made presentations to that that buyer and to others in their organization who were decision makers, we had the whole team there making that presentation. And mm-hmm. so we had, you know, the sales team was making the presentation on sales and the marketing team on marketing, mm-hmm. operations team, you know, the regulatory team, et cetera, et cetera. And that was to them was was the biggest eye opener. Like, hey, this is a, this is an organization with some legs to it. Absolutely. And, uh, so I think that's very very important. So David, I I think kind of wrapping this up here, we've talked about what those eight drivers are. We've really specifically honed in on these two very similar drivers where it talks about the concentration or our exposure and our dependency on either the owner, the vendor the employee or a customer in particular. I know we've got several others to Mm -hmm. cover here in next episodes and uh, look forward to discussing that further with the folks. Looking forward to it. All All right. right, off to work. Off to work. (laughs) 